0: I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I was remembering um, this week uh, the story I'd heard about Pablo Casals, who in his day was the foremost cellist in the world. Maybe that's still true. He lived well into his 90s. And towards the end of his life, he was interviewed for a documentary and the person who was asking him questions asked why he continued to practice for four or five hours a day, given his great success as performer and he, um, why, did, why, did, why did he need to do that? Casals answered, because I think I'm making progress. And I think there's a lesson for us in that on Education Sunday. In this coming year, the start of a new chapter for St. James, under the leadership of a new rector, do you know we all have a new, do you all know we have a new rector? It's awesome. (laughs) We're focused on being disciples of Jesus. We recognize that being a disciple, I asked the Wednesday Bible study for word association with disciple. The overwhelming answer was student or learner with Jesus as our rabbi, with Jesus as our teacher. Brian McLaren, the uh, pastor and theologian, put it this way, the church is not a club for the elite who pretend that they have arrived spiritually. The church is a school for disciples who are still on the way. And in our life with God in this place, there is always, always, always more to learn. And I believe part of why this community exists um, is so that together, whatever our age, no matter how long we have been on the spiritual journey, we can continue to grow in the knowledge and love of God together. In the words of Pablo Casals, we can make progress. Now to help us think about what that means, we turn to readings chosen for the Feast of the Holy Cross, uh, which we're celebrating today, a feast which I'll say a little bit more about later. That includes this reading from the letter to the Philippians, which is one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. It is an early letter, one of the earliest documents we have in the New Testament, attributed to Paul, who wrote this letter from a first century prison cell. So use your cinematic imagination and think about what that place was like. And Paul writes to a church he loves, and though he finds himself in the slammer, He, every other word in this letter is rejoice and joy. What was the source of that joy for him? It sounds like the joy came as Paul saw this church growing as a community of disciples of Jesus, a community experiencing grace-filled transformation on a powerful level, a community deepening in love of God as they followed Christ. And if you read the letter, four chapters, really short, awesome letter. I invite you to read it on your own. Uh, He gives a vision of a people in process. He opens the letter with a statement of confidence that God, who began a good work in this group of people, is going to bring that work to completion. It ain't over. He prays that their love for God may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. More and more. He invites them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling because it is God at work in them, enabling them to will and to work for his good pleasure, which is just this most beautiful vision of holy synergy. And he confesses that he himself is in process. He says, I've not attained this goal of knowing Christ fully, but I press on to make that knowledge my own because Christ has made me his own. He presses on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus, pulled out towards what is ahead, forgetting what lies behind. In all of this, he affirms he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So you get the picture, wonderful work in progress. I found myself picturing St. Paul sporting one of my favorite bumper stickers on his horse or chariot or scooter or whatever, however he got around. It reads this, PBP, G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Please be patient, God is not finished with me yet. That is good news. That is gospel, not just for the Philippians, but for us. God is not finished with you or me or St. James or the Episcopal Church. We are all part of a great spiritual adventure and scripture provides us with the way to proceed. And I gave you a bit of an overview of this letter but I wanna zoom in uh, on the part that we heard this morning, which I think may be the heart of the letter. It was probably a hymn that early Christians had already developed to share their vision of who Jesus is, typographically, it's set out a little different in the Bible. Find a Bible in your pew, turn to page 152, sort of at the back end, the New Testament's got its separate numbering, but page 152, you'll see what I'm talking about, that this is a poem or a hymn or some piece of liturgy from the first days of the church, maybe the earliest thing we have in the New Testament, and they're telling us who Jesus is. You can see it's broken out into sort of poetic or liturgical uh, cadence. It means we're talking about that early vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I love how the hymn is introduced. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. In other words, it's an invitation to grow in having the mind of Christ. It makes it a great thing to read on Education Sunday as we think about how we hope to grow in the coming year. Speaking of education, Albert Einstein said, education is not gathering facts. It's the training of the mind. And St. Paul calls us to train our minds so that we will have the mind of Christ. So what do you think that looks like? This ancient hymn tells us that in Jesus' frame of mind, He did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped. Jesus emptied himself, taking form of servant, born in human likeness. Jesus humbled himself, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is why it's an apt reading for this feast. So the mind of Christ, as I read it, see what you think. The mind of Christ is one of humility, and it's one of service. And it's one of generosity carried to such extent that someone would give up one's life for it. The book we read this past month, Being Disciples by Rowan Williams, offers a way to think about the mind of Christ. There's a chapter, seminal chapter, I think, that speaks of holiness, which is a key part of being a disciple. Disciple. Now, it's not holiness understood as excessive or unattractive or annoying, piety or sanctimony. We may have all run across that. It's not Ankel Minkin's description of a Puritan. He said that a Puritan is someone who is unhappy because someone somewhere is having a good time. Rowan Williams says this about holiness. This holiness key to disciple in a church, discipleship in church is not about exclusion and it's not about anxiety. It is, um, uh, he says that a church is holy as it is taken over, I love this, taken over by the extraordinariness of God, becoming a church that wants to talk about the beauty and splendor of God, to show the self-forgetting love of God by being at the heart of humanity, by being at the place where people are most human. I take that to mean that holiness is really about having the mind of Christ. So how do we these days grow in that kind of holiness? Rowan's answer, it's first about looking. It's about looking at Jesus, looking at what God is like, looking at the gospel and all that the gospels have to teach us. And secondly, it's about exploring where human beings are and what their needs are, and what they are calling us to do as a community, and how we may help them make make them more human. One friend put it this way, says it's about seeing what God is up to in the neighborhood. God is already there. What is God up to in the neighborhood? Looking at Jesus and exploring the world around us, those two things provide the foundation for being holy, for being disciples for growing in the mind of Christ. So today uh, we're all in red because we're observing the Feast of the Holy Cross. It's a day that marks the dedication of the church now known as the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem that took place on September 14th in the year 335. Now a key feature of that sacred complex was a view of the place where Jesus was crucified. And that view which became a pilgrimage spot, a place for veneration, that view invites us to look at Jesus, who stretches out arms of love on the hardwood of the cross to draw us into saving embrace. And so we look at the Holy Cross, which represents the healing of the world, the healing of our hearts. As follower of Jesus, in light of what we see on that cross, we are then, as the Colossians says, invited to take up our own cross to explore that life of self-giving in our world, in our homes, workplace, in this church, in this city. To revisit the words of Paul's letter, we are to have the mind of Christ for each of us and for all of us together as a church. That's always going to be a growth opportunity. So think about your own perspective on all of this. What does it mean to you to have the mind of Christ? What would that look like in your life? Is that a perspective you even desire? Maybe not. If it is, what might you do to grow in that way? It's a knowledge of the head for sure, a gathering of facts, which is why a lot of what we do here is teach about Jesus to parishioners of all ages, teaching his history in the scope of the Hebrew scriptures and the tradition since he ascended. But it also is a matter of where we give our hearts, giving thanks for Jesus' own self-offering and in response, giving ourselves to him through our worship, with our lips and our lives for the sake of a world that needs healing. How might we together have the mind of Christ as a church? Can we see this place as a school for disciples? Can we channel Pablo Casals so that our spiritual practices offer a way to make progress in the spiritual journey? God's not done with us. Can we listen to Albert Einstein, who said the issue is not more facts, but it is the training of the mind, in this case, the mind of Christ? And can we hear Rowan Williams ask these questions? Do we expect there to be a bit more of us at the end of a period of prayer or worship than there was at the beginning? Will God have cleared away some of the clutter, created just a little more space for his life, urging us toward a new level of life, I'm wondering on this Education Sunday, can we grow as disciples, students, learners, looking to Jesus, author and finisher of our faith? And in light of what we see, explore what his love means for the world in which we live, this world in need of healing, the healing of the Holy Cross. Friends, when we do that, I believe we will have come closer to having the mind of Christ.